Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. My name is Richard Lane and it's Friday, March the 8th. And in this week's podcast, we're discussing heart failure because in the March the 9th issue, we're publishing a three-part series about heart failure. So it's with great pleasure that we welcome our guest interviewee this week. Hello, my name is Dr. Patrick Roussinol, University of Lorraine, Nancy University Hospital, INSERM Clinical Investigation Centre. Great to have you on the line, and I realise you've just been travelling back from the west coast of the United States, so even bigger thank you. You're the author of Paper One in the series, which is very much giving an overview of heart failure. It's been a success story largely over the past three decades. Challenges remain, of course. We'll go into some of those details in a moment. But in terms of the epidemiology and definitions, it is important to define it, and there are also two important subcategories of heart failure, aren't there? Sure. Heart failure is a clinical syndrome which is characterized by fatigue and dyspnea, which may be induced by left or global ventricular dysfunction, frequently associated with signs of congestion. And to depict this, uh, the severity of congestion, the New York Heart Association classification with four stages is the most used to describe symptom severity. Another important feature to highlight is about ejection fraction. In most patients, abnormalities of systolic and diastolic function coexist, actually irrespective of the ejection fraction. However, ejection fraction was, in clinical trials, the most used classifier to define heart failure with either reduced ejection fraction, what is called heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, when ejection fraction is below 40%, or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, FPEF. Yeah. And you're right. There are few areas in medicine where progress has been as remarkable as that observed with heart failure therapy over the last three decades. However, importantly, progress, and we, I guess we will discuss that later on, has been consistent only for chronic heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Just looking back again briefly, as your paper says, and, and I think the world is aware, particularly in cardiology, management of heart failure, treatment of heart failure, there's been tremendous rapid progress in the past three decades. What do you attribute this to? It must be the development of therapeutics. And if so, what have been the major milestones in terms of treatment of heart failure? The heart failure with reduced ejection fraction subtype has been the most well studied, yielding a robust body of evidence to support clinical practice guidelines. The combined optimal use of class 1A therapies, which I will uh, depict uh, just uh, in a minute, in clinical trials has led to a decline in mortality among patients with severe as well as mild moderate heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Current treatment guidelines are based on robust evidence, which stems from well-designed, large-scale, randomized cardiovascular outcome trials. And in this setting, inhibitors of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, that is S-inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, but also mineral receptor antagonists and beta blockers, are strongly recommended. This is a class 1A recommendation. Yeah. They are strongly recommended because they do improve survival, they do decrease sudden death, and prevent heart failure hospitalizations. More recently, based on the results of a quite recent trial, the Paradigm HF trial, which did compare the ARNI angiotensin receptor nepolysin inhibitor with S inhibitors, it was shown that sacubitrilvalsartan was able to reduce the risk of heart failure hospitalization and death in chronic heart failure with reduced ejection fraction patients who remain symptomatic despite optimal treatment. Therefore, it was proposed, it is 
actually recommended uh, in those patients to replace ACE inhibitors in order to further reduce the cardiovascular risk. Therefore, unless contraindicated, all symptomatic FRF patients should receive the above-mentioned medications in combination, ideally, preferably at target maximally tolerated dose. And as I mentioned earlier, this led uh, to a decline in mortality among patients with severe as, as well as mild moderate FRF. Clearly some, some really substantial progress. But of course the reality is life and the world does not stand still. We are now talking in the 21st century with some very real global problems that are very familiar to The Lancet. We've recently been publishing major pieces of work, research and reviews, concerning trends in the way the world eats, physical activity, exercise, diet, and the fact that in some parts of the world there are very sedentary lifestyles which are contributing, along with poor diet, to some very poor cardiovascular health. From your point of view, as an expert in heart failure, what does today's 21st century demographic mean for the current management and future prevention and management of heart failure? Well, the first thing I would like to highlight is that heart failure is the most common cardiovascular reason for hospital admission among individuals over the age of 60 the prevalence of heart failure is increasing worldwide because of an increasing incidence related to population aging, but also owing to a rising prevalence of poorly controlled risk factors. In other words, hypertension, diabetes mellitus, and obesity. Finally, there is also a a prolonged survival of patients with heart failure due to, as I mentioned, to the implementation of evidence-based therapeutics. Despite some great progress that has been made. Cardiology and, and heart failure, subspecialty within cardiology, has to be, you know, have to be very conscious of, of the changing demographics that, that we're facing at the moment. As many spheres of health, medicine, and social services are, particularly the aging population, it's still going to have potentially have a massive impact, isn't it, clinically? This is true. When treating patients for heart failure, there are still very real risks, aren't there, concerning or problems relating to re-hospitalisation, overall death attributed to heart failure. It's still, as you were saying, it's still a very serious clinical problem, especially for people over the age of 60. Can you comment on, on, on the recurrent risks after the diagnosis of heart failure? Sure. There is an obvious discrepancy, I would say, between the improvement in outcomes over the last three decades and the fact that heart failure still carries a poor prognosis. For instance, as you uh, refer to, 30-day-old cause readmission rates of 19% have been reported in the U.S. One-year-old cause mortality after acute heart failure was uh, 17% versus 7% for stable or ambulatory patients. And strikingly, among patients with heart failure hospitalized in the U.S. from 2008 to 2010, almost 70% were readmitted and 35% died within a year of the index's hospitalization. And this was the U.S., but data from Europe showed consistent results. The good news is that international registry data show that physicians' adherence to guideline-recommended medications in FRF was associated with better outcomes. But there is an issue here because current guidelines are not being optimally implemented, both in terms of overall use as well as underdosing. And this is most often because of sometimes excessive concern about adverse events. Adverse events uh, uh, during rest inhibition uh, may associate hypertension, hyperkalemia, and worsening renal function. 
These are actually the most frequently cited reasons for underdosing, underuse, and discontinuation of life-saving drugs, that is, RAS inhibitors on MRAs. This is the issue right now. No, that's a very, very important point to make. Can you just shed some light on, on the global perspective concerning heart failure? It's all too easy sometimes to look in medical journals and, and look at research that's been done in the United States, in Europe, in Australasia. But, of course, the demographics... Uh, we know will be very different for, uh, for heart failure risks in Asian populations, in African populations. Looking at it more globally, looking at heart failure, not just the, the demographics of, of, of those countries or those regions where there may be a different risk profile, what about the actual potential of clinical treatment in low-income and middle-income settings concerning heart failure? Actually, this is a true global program. And fortunately, there are international registry data uh, which are available right now. And for instance, uh, we do refer to an international congestive heart failure study uh, representing uh, participants from Africa, China, India, Middle East, Asia, South America, which did report an overall one-year mortality of 17% with, however, substantial variation by region. But uh, to, to sum up, the, the outcomes remain dismal. And uh, we, we, I don't know whether I may refer to this because it's still unpublished, but in press, we do have another paper in press now uh, uh, comparing uh, data across clinical trials as a function of the medium income. And we, we, we did observe that uh, patients from low-medium incomes on countries with higher income are inequal uh, since uh, higher mortality rate was observed in patients with low-medium income compared to, uh, to higher-income countries. There was no statistical heterogeneity in terms of treatment effect, but the burden of heart failure was higher in low-income countries. My uh, personal perspective is that the good news is that uh, the life-saving drugs are cheap now. Most of them are generic. Therefore, there is a hope pending a proper implementation of guidelines. Well, yes, thank you. That was going to be one of my questions. The accessibility of, of many of the successful um, therapeutics, they're now off patent, so at least there is that. that that's absolutely right. Just in summarising, you know, the most important, from a therapeutics point of view, because there are other papers in this series which, that don't that look at aspects outside core pharmacotherapy, but in terms of known pharmacological treatments that are known to be the most effective in, in large populations, how would you summarise the top pharmacological therapies available now, potentially available worldwide? Unless contraindicated, all symptomatic FRF patients should receive S inhibitors or and beta blockers, if they are still symptomatic immunocorticoid receptor, so S inhibitors, beta blockers, MRAs, uh, in combination, preferably at target maximally tolerated dose. All these medications are worldwide available to begin with, this is a triple combination. Indeed. Thank you for clarifying that. But one important point that is mentioned in, in your paper, again, the underuse or the lack of integration of, of highly skilled multifaceted health teams to support patients with heart failure. Can you touch on, on, on what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, the recognition of, of heart failure as a quite complex disorder with multiple comorbidities 
led to the development of multidisciplinary management programs, disease management programs as a foundation for care, such as personalized health enhanced clinic support with rapid access and emergency and hospital care. Therefore, systems of care that include multidisciplinary management have been shown to reduce heart failure hospitalization and improve survival in patients discharged from hospital. For sure, one of the major uh, components of this success, which we were able to observe, for instance, in our region, in France, with the ECALOR uh, regional program, in the east part of France, was an optimal implementation of the guidelines owing to the strong engagement of multidisciplinary healthcare professionals, uh, GPs, cardiologists, but also geriatricians and nurses. Absolutely. And that, of course, brings with it its own risks because, as you said, it's all about implementation and following guidelines. And again, returning to health systems that are less mature or less developed than perhaps they are in France, Europe, North America, Australasia, that, again, is going to present a problem, isn't it? Because you're going to have some regions, some settings where the human resources, the human capital is just not going to be available. Yes, this is true. This is, this is a challenge. Uh, how, how to proceed to spread uh, this uh, model of multidisciplinary programs worldwide is a global challenge, I would say. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, EL's technologies may enable to overcome this, uh, but this uh, warrants uh, dedicated experimentation, I guess. And a final question, Dr. Rossignol, looking to the future. Obviously, your, your approach in this series is very much looking at the therapeutics with an overview, and we have other papers looking beyond therapeutics, and there are medical devices and other things that relate to heart failure that have potential. Where do you see the future of heart failure management? Is it more therapeutics, or is it, are our different approaches going to be relevant? I would say that two approaches may be combined to uh, overcome uh, the burden of uh, heart failure. First of all, delaying or preventing heart failure has become increasingly important in heart failure-prone patients. We did speak about obesity, diabetes, hypertension. In my opinion, evidence from randomized trials that lifestyle medications may delay the onset of heart failure and ultimately reduce cardiovascular mortality per se is warranted. Furthermore, the identification of mechanistic targets to prevent but also on treat heart failure with reduced or preserved ejection fraction are warranted. It is also of paramount importance to prevent worsening chronic heart failure on hospitalizations for acute decompensation, both in the chronic FREF setting where there is already a strong level of evidence, but obviously also in the FPF setting where there is almost no evidence. Therefore, uh, we should uh, aim at defining the best monitoring strategies to monitor decongestion or recurrent congestion. We should aim at identifying the most effective components of the disease management programs we did refer to previously. Potentially, we should demonstrate to which extent the incorporation of digital self-management tools on patient-facing applications for heart failure management may be key. That's a very neat summary and anticipation of an exciting future in the prevention and the treatment of heart failure. Dr. Patrick Rossignol, many thanks indeed for your time. Thank you for talking to The Lancet. You're very welcome.